Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. I've studied nutrition for now close to 40 years. Mm -hmm. And when we put together our products to put together the vitamin mineral package, not only was I there, we also had a board certified veterinary nutritionist. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, we had a guy that got his PhD in vitamins. So the three of us hammered this out for weeks. And it just amazes me that somebody thinks, well, I can just put it together in my backyard and I'll add some green beans and some of this and some of that, and everything will be good. All right, guys. Are you planning your next litter of puppies? Or maybe you just finished your foundation bitch and you're ready to start health testing. Embark, creator of the highest rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers specialized testing just for breeders. And while they're offering a few different tests, only the Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit was made to provide breed-relevant disease screening for your purebred dogs. It includes traits testing, such as coat color and body size, DLA diversity testing, breed ancestry, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program, including me through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code Pure Dog Talk. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and our friend Rob Downey, who's the president and CEO of Animate Pet Foods, is back with us. And Rob and I decided we were going to take on one of the big three of the internet dog fights, right? <laughs> Talking about pet food. And we're going to talk about the concepts and the pros and cons of raw and or homemade food versus kibble generically. Right. And so I know that people are already salivating. The knives are coming out, but we're going to do this, Rob. We're going to be really brave. And, <laughs> and we're going to give people some just science, some basic scientific information. I mean, you are one of the sort of foundation researchers in this area. And so I think it's worth hearing from someone with actual knowledge. So welcome. I'm super excited to have this conversation. Great. Thanks, Laura. I'm happy to be here and let's get it going. All right. So we're going to start with the pros and cons, just basic pros and cons of both raw and kibble. So let's start with raw. What's the pro? Okay. What's the con? Well, first off, people ask me all the time, am I anti-raw? I say, I'm not anti-raw. I fed raw before raw was niche. There you go. <laughs> I had sled dogs, and so we fed raw for many, many years. So before there was even products available on the market. 
So I'm certainly not anti-raw. I think the real thing is with any product, whether it be raw, kibble, freeze-dried, anything is how well it's balanced and the raw materials that are going into it. Like you can't just inherently say all raw is better or all kibble is better or anything. It really comes down to the formulation, whether or not it's AFCO approved, who's done the testing and the raw materials that are included. And I think that's so important, Rob, because I see people all the time, oh, I'm going to make my dog food. Well, based on what? Do you have like a secret recipe or 14 secret spices? I mean, how do people go about trying to do that and do it correctly? Or should they? Well, that's a great question. You know, it's funny. I give lectures all around the world. That's why you're here on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And inevitably, when I'm done, somebody will come up to me and say, oh, I don't feed commercial dog food. I make my own. And I say, well, what do you do for vitamins and minerals? And they get this blank look on their face like, gosh, I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. And it's something that really, maybe I'm a little sensitive about it because I've studied nutrition for now close to 40 years. Mm-hmm. And when we put together our products to put together the vitamin mineral package, not only was I there, we also had a board certified veterinary nutritionist. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, we had a guy that got his PhD in vitamins. So the three of us hammered this out for weeks. And it just amazes me that somebody thinks, well, I can just put it together in my backyard and I'll add some green beans and some of this and some of that and everything will be good. Blueberries is my favorite. (laughs) It's especially a concern now when some studies have really shown just how important things like vitamins and minerals are. Taurine, for example. (laughs) Exactly. There's been some great studies that shown that you can actually increase lifespan. There's a study done with beagles where they found that dogs on extra high vitamins lived about 23% longer than on average vitamin levels. They had 29% less veterinary visits, and they're 32% less likely to have tumors. And the sad part was when they went and they tested the dog foods, they found the less than 5% had extra high vitamins. So, Right. And so it feels to me like, and I think I hear you saying, but correct me if I'm wrong, that it can be very challenging to get the proper balance of vitamins, minerals, nutrients, all that, if you're just sort of randomly throwing your dog a turkey neck every now and then. Yeah. And the problem is that a lot of those situations are happening subclinically. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to see the outward, something like vitamin A or vitamin D, it's going to take a long, long time before you find out whether you're deficient or not. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that subclinically you're not having issues. And I mean, think about if you could extend the lifespan of your dog, why wouldn't you? And that's really why we spend so much time formulating a supplement enhance right. that is used for people that want to do home prepared because home prepared is definitely a growing segment in the market. Mm-hmm. But studies have shown that 60% of home prepared diets are deficient in at least one nutrient. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing was when we introduced this product, we actually did it at a veterinary conference. Okay. Veterinarians were happy. They were excited about right. it because Most veterinarians aren't really trained in nutrition. In fact, probably only about 50% of the veterinary teaching universities even have a core nutrition course. Really? 
I mean, think about it. Veterinarians have to learn so much about surgery and mm -hmm. large animals, small animal birds. It's unbelievable what they have to learn. Nutrition, they just really don't have time. And we don't go to our human doctors for nutritional advice. I'm not sure why we figure we should go to our veterinarian for our pets, especially right. when they're selling products. Right. Okay. So let's talk about some of these vitamins and minerals that are important, whether you're feeding kibble, whether you're feeding raw, no matter what you're feeding, say that we think there's pros and cons to both of these options. What are the top three absolutely must have if you're going to feed successfully, particularly a healthy raw or homemade diet? Because not all kibble foods have appropriate balances. Many do. But it's the question with the homemade and the raw that can be a problem. I think one of the things when you're talking raw diets or home prepared diets, you really want to be careful that you don't go over about 10 to 15 percent organ meat. Because organ meat tends to be really high in vitamin A and really high in copper. And actually, one of the newest thing that's coming out now is copper storage concerns, copper toxicity. You mentioned that before. That's really interesting. So you're positing that that's coming from a lot of organ meat? Well, not only organ meat, but the problem is there's a lot of experts that think that this copper storage issue is going to be even worse than DCM. Wow. And what happened was there's certain breeds that are predisposed to it. Sure, like Bedlington Terriers. They've actually even found a gene, mm -hmm. a Bedlington Terrier, that shows that you're predisposed to it. You can mm -hmm. actually test for it. Mm -hmm. Whereas now we're seeing it in a lot of breeds, Dobermans and Labs. and It could be in any breed. And Weird. really, a lot of people think that it really goes back to the mid-90s. And the source of copper back in the mid-90s most often was copper oxide. Okay, That was banned for use in animal feeds because they were having some GI absorption issues in ruminants and even some cats. Hmm. So they banned it. So everybody then switched to copper sulfate or an amino acid chelate, which mm -hmm. are significantly better absorbed. The problem is a lot of those companies just pulled out the copper oxide and added the same amount of another ingredient that is substantially better absorbed. So guess what? They're getting more copper. Oh, interesting. And the other thing that has often happened is that when you look at AFCO numbers, oftentimes pet food companies will simply look at the AFCO numbers and double it to make sure that they have the minimum. So you're getting more that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas you really need to be looking, a lot of companies don't look at what they're getting from raw materials. Like mm -hmm. meat and fish is the principal source of copper. People say, well, why is there copper in the diet to begin with? Well, you or I or our pets cannot live without copper. It's an essential nutrient. Okay. So not having it in there. The problem is AFCO, which determines the amount we're going to put in, has a minimum of 7.3 parts per million. They don't have an upper level. and you might be amazed to know, but with the exception of calcium and phosphorus, we didn't know any safe upper limits in any mineral. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, there's a big concern now going on about this. What should the upper level be? And a lot of experts figure that for something to be considered low copper, it should be about 15 parts per million max. 
Okay. Whereas the average diet in dog food in the United States right now is 30 to 40 parts per million. Oh, wow. With one as high as 130, where what we did at Animate when we formulated it, we took into consideration the raw materials, how much we're getting from meat and fish, and then adjusted the copper level. So we're well below that 15. So in the end, we're still around 15 or below. But you need to understand that copper is stored in the body in the liver. Okay. So if you're going to feed a product with a lot of byproducts and liver, you're going to increase the copper levels from there. Okay. So the dogs are getting copper from the organ meats from the cow or the sheep or whatever they're feeding liver from. If they're using byproducts, like, for example, the difference between chicken meal and chicken byproduct meal is that chicken meal doesn't have the byproducts. The byproducts would include liver, a lot of the organ meats. So you're going to have higher levels of copper. The other thing is you need to understand is that copper stored in the body. Mm -hmm. The older the animal, the higher levels of copper. So think about it. Chicken is processed. They barely live 12 months, 16 months. If that, right. Right. A beef cow or a dairy cow, they're years old. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be higher levels of copper in beef products than chicken products. Just by virtue of how old they are. And, you know, especially, I think a lot of what goes into these diets, beef-wise, tends to be old dairy cows. So, but that gets back to what I'm talking about. I don't care if it's raw or kibble. If you start with the wrong raw materials, you could have trouble. So to say one is better than the other is difficult. To be honest, the biggest advantage of feeding raw is that you're going to get smaller stool. Okay. One of the concerns about that is that people are loyal to raw because so many people think of their dogs as wolves. And we're not going to get away from that. They want to feed them like wolves. Well, they need to remember that wolves only ate every three to five days. And they had to chase down and kill their prey. Mm -hmm. Now we're not only feeding these dogs every day. We're feeding them multiple times a day. Mm -hmm. And we're keeping them in a heated building in the winter and in air conditioning in the summer. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, to be honest, that has happened is dogs have evolved. Yes. I think that's super important because... Wolves started out wolves, but then they became dogs and they were eating camp scraps. I mean, think about civilization and how they became domesticated. Well, the other thing that's happened is dogs were first domesticated about fifteen to 30,000 years ago in the Paleolithic era. Mm-hmm. And actually, dogs were domesticated before any other animal or crop. Yes. We actually domesticated dogs before we did sheep or horses or even grew corn. Mm-hmm. One of the ways you evolve as a species is the duplication of genes. So a lot of people say, well, dogs can't break down carbohydrates. Well, the ability to break down carbohydrates is through the amylase genes. Mm -hmm. Well, now dogs have evolved to the point where they have about seven times more amylase genes than do wolves. That's a fascinating little tidbit I did not know. There's a great study done in Sweden that shows that bottom line is a dog is way more metabolically flexible than a wolf and is truly evolving as an omnivore. That is fascinating that I have not seen that research. I'm going to have to check that out. 
I can send that paper to you. Please do. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is it's amazing how species evolve. Mm -hmm. They did a study on a bird rookery where Mm -hmm. a group of birds live alongside this highway. And they found over the last 40 years that these birds have evolved to be much narrower bodied and more aerodynamic and they can change directions. They used to be hit by cars a lot because they were this bulky thing. And in 60 years, they've evolved that they don't get hit as much. And so why do we think that dogs can't evolve, especially when the generational turnaround is what? We can breed a dog every year. We're not talking humans. They studied all these genetic variants in wolves compared to dogs. It's really quite interesting. Fascinating. I can't wait to see that. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. It's the season of giving, so why not give yourself the gift of peace of mind by signing up for Trupanion's Breeder Support Program? Their go-home day offer lets you provide buyers with a special offer to try out a Trupanion policy with waived waiting periods so you can rest easy knowing your litters are covered in their new homes. You'll also get your own dedicated account manager, my favorite, specialized materials to include in your puppy kits, and access to a private breeder support Facebook group. Getting started is easy. Just follow the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Okay, so my next question is, we've got to have vitamins and minerals. And there's a lot of us, myself included, who have flirted with raw feeding over the years and just can't quite bring myself to just throw a dog a bone, right? Right. (laughs) So what are some options for raw feeding that don't include that raw meaty bones that is where a lot of us kind of foundationally started hearing about this? Well, there's a lot of raw products on the market. And one of the things you need to do is look and see if they're AFCO approved. Okay. Another thing is, have they done any feeding trials? Yes. One of my concerns about raw foods is that it's hard to ship. Yeah. So there's a lot of small companies that have just sort of evolved out of nowhere that are selling in their region. Mm-hmm. But they're not necessarily been tested or inspected. So do you really know what you're getting? I always tell people, you should reach out to the company if you're going to feed their product. Mm-hmm. And you should ask them questions. You should ask if they've done any AFCO feeding trials. Are their numbers AFCO approved? Mm-hmm. And what are things like their copper levels? What are things like their calcium levels? Yeah. And if they're not willing to share that with you, then that should be cause for concern. And right. some raw simply will say not complete and balanced. Right. Right. And then you can use a supplement like Enhanced to help right. balance. But the bottom line is that there's some good ones. Mm-hmm. And there's some not so good ones. Mm-hmm. Same way with kibble. The problem is sure. now a lot of the raw feeders are starting to say, well, kibble's this burnt brown right. you know, crap. Right. That, that drives me crazy because, you know, when I started nutrition 40 years ago, there's a lot of those companies around. They weren't very good dry foods. And now the evolution has been pretty significant. Yes. And now we're producing some pretty spot-on foods. 
And I like to think some of that goes back to the research we did back 40 years ago. Yes, exactly. And that's my point. It's why I've come to you as an expert, because you've literally done the work. So, okay. My final question, do you have any, I mean, you were making a really good point about kibble and the quality of the kibble that's available today. And I think that that's really important that people understand there are quality kibbles available. And the only question I then had remaining, are there absolute hell no, no, no's when it comes to, if you choose to go the raw or the homemade route, absolutely never do this. I'd be careful on the amount of protein and fat. Mm -hmm. You want a nice balance. You don't want it too high one way or the other. I mean, one of the things that we hear people talk about raw, they then start to try and include raw vegetables. I remember one of the early raw companies decided, well, we're going to put in raw vegetables and they chose raw sweet potatoes. They actually had a nutritionist that suggested to put in raw sweet potatoes. Well, you can imagine what a disaster that was. It's bad. So the bottom line is vegetables tend to be better, more bioavailable when they're cooked. Now, the problem with raw is you're always concerned about the pathogens, things like salmonella, E. coli, listeria. And so that's why you're starting to see a lot of these gently cooked products that are gaining popularity because you don't have to worry about that. And so you can be as careful as you want, but, you know, even dogs can actually shed in their feces E. coli and salmonella. So it's not just in feeding them, you can actually get it, you know, coming out the other end too. Right. So my understanding, and again, you're the trained professional here, but my understanding is dogs themselves do not actually have effects from those bacteria, but it's the people who handle the food and handle the feces, et cetera. Well, there's about 5,000 different species of salmonella. Okay. One of my friends who's an FDA inspector told me, They better not come into my kitchen and swab my counter. I have four boys. I will guarantee you that they're going to find salmonella. Whether or not it's the bad one, obviously, it's probably a bigger concern for humans, especially children. But certainly Mm -hmm. dogs can get sick from it as well. Okay, they can. Okay. Most of them, it's not going to affect. I mean, geez, we see dogs eating everything. Right. What they eat. I'm like, yeah, I right? don't even want to know. <laughs> I want to give you a kiss. Yes. We could discuss my chihuahua that was just doing that this morning. What? So we spoke a lot about raw, but we've not mentioned kibble. And you mentioned right. about the advances in kibble. And yes, that really has made a tremendous difference. You know, some of the old kibbles, you know, it really depends on the temperature it's processed at. Extrusion temperature, like, for example, a lot of the big companies will run it very hot and they'll lose like 40% of the vitamin A. We do a lower temperature, more of almost an artisanal production, and we'll lose Mm. maybe only 10%. And one of the things that we have incorporated into our software is we know exactly how much of any vitamin and mineral, how much is lost during heat processing. So we can alter our inclusion rate to cover that. Of what you add to the food from the vitamin mineral. And that's one of the problems when you see companies that are trying to do kibble and they're trying to get their vitamins and minerals from fruits and vegetables in a kibble. 
Well, studies have shown that you're losing about 60% of those over 12 months. Whereas what we do is we test our vitamins and minerals, not only pre-production, post-production, but we're testing them 16 months down the line. And not that we expect people to keep it. But we've also done feeding trials. Right. That's one of the advantages of some of the companies that have been around. Like two of our original products, we've done feeding trials for now over 20 years on eight generations of dogs. That's amazing. And I think that that's important that people understand. And when we talk about foods that you can count on, you talk about something like that. You talk about ProPlan. You talk about Royal Right. The kibble companies that are really testing, actually feeding dogs, right? right. <laughs> These foods and following the results. There's science, sciencey stuff. Remember we were talking, we started talking about sciencey stuff. Yeah. You know, it's funny. AFCO feeding trials, just a straight AFCO feeding trial, only requires eight dogs and only six of them have to pass. Oh, interesting. You're basically testing red blood cell, white blood cell, liver function, and kidney function. Well, one of the last formulas that we produced, it took us over two years back and forth between two nutritionists reformulating. And when we finally had it run as a test batch, we sent it out to three independent labs to have it tested to make sure nutrients were at the right levels. And then we did our feeding trials on over 80 dogs, and we measured 36 blood parameters. So when we release a product, cool. we're confident. And that's what concerns yeah. <laughs> me with some companies that are just, I don't even know if they have a nutritionist involved. They're driven by market people. And, and that's also right. the concern now with so many of these companies being bought by venture capital firms. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I told you this before, but a scary thing, one of my friends sells vitamins and minerals in the pet industry. And when he would bid at this pet food company, family-run company, with each vitamin, he'd have to list uh, country of origin, purity level, shelf life, mm-hmm. you know, the whole nine yards. Right. That company's bought out by a VC firm, venture capital firm. Mm. He goes to bid it again. Now you know what he gets? One line for price. Oh, wow. They don't care where it's from. They don't care quality, yeah. anything. They just want price. And so, again, it doesn't matter if it's kibble, it's raw, air freeze-dried. Just be careful who you're dealing with. And I love your, what you put in, you get out. Yeah. Isn't that it? The raw materials. Yeah, right. Right. And everything, Excellent. at least four different quality levels. Excellent. And again, I am not going to be the arbiter of the internet dog food wars. I just wanted to give right. people information to make good, useful decisions. Well, it's, with. it's interesting. Raw feeders, it's almost like a religion. <laughs> and to be honest, I'm not even sure I should say this, but it's also being somewhat promoted by the retailers because mm-hmm. raw is hard to ship over the internet. Mm-hmm. So the retailers that I do a lot of business with tell me that it's better if they switch somebody to raw, they don't have to worry about losing them to Chewy's or Amazon because they can't buy it there. Oh, interesting. And the other thing is, quite honestly, it's much more expensive. So I've had retailers tell me that they'll come in and they'll spend $150 a week, whereas they used to spend $90 a month on a bag of dogs. Well, and I think in the pros and cons, to me, one of the cons to the raw feeding is the cost. And I tried it. I was like everybody else back before it was hip and cool. And I had 10 dogs. And I'm like, I can't do this. (laughs) Like, I I just can't. Well, the other concern, I think, is 
vitamin levels in a lot of them that yep. I've seen. Yep. And what's happened is I think these raw products are so expensive that then to put in a lot of vitamins becomes really expensive. So they don't yeah. add a lot. Interesting. And the other thing is the three principal nutrients, obviously, in any diet are protein, fats, and carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. If you go to raw, you're really minimizing carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So you're really going to have a lot more protein, a lot more fat. There's twice the amount of calories in a gram of fat as there is in protein or carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So it's very energy dense. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest problems we have now, the biggest problem in dogs and cats. Obesity. And so a perfect example, we had a retailer in somewhere in New York City. She's big into raw. She sells a lot of our products, but big into raw. Her older dog started to fade away. So she got really worried she was going to lose them. So she switched it to one of our senior formulas, went from raw to dry, sent me some pictures and couldn't believe the difference in the dog, like it was reborn. And I started to think, why is that happening? And then I looked at the pictures before and after, and the dog was actually pretty fit before. Mm -hmm. So then when I started to do the calculations on how much fat was in that diet, she had to feed it very little to keep right. the weight down, to keep the weight down and keep it that little, she's not getting very many vitamins and minerals. Right. And so by switching to something that was a, made all the difference in the world. Yeah. So you really need to be careful. But the big thing with those is, especially with puppies with raw, is mm. make sure you check the calcium levels because some of the calcium levels in the raw diets are simply too high to raise puppies on. And that should be a caution for anybody. Okay. That's a great Just one. check with them. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate it. And I know that our listeners will yell and scream and jump up and down and scream and shout, but that's okay. It's well, okay. I encourage it. I encourage dialogue. Dialogue's important, but I really wanted people to have really specific information. And that's why I wanted to talk to you this time. Well, again, I thank you for having me. I always enjoy this, but you know, the bottom line, whether you want to feed raw or kibble, Certainly personal preference. Just look into what you're getting. That's all. 100%. Love that. All right. Thanks so much, Rob. You have a great holiday. All right. You too. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons acquire special access opportunities and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is Pure Pep Talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember guys, this podcast is for you. 
So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.